This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the Nats and Kyle Schwarber continue to kill it. The Orioles get back on the road, which uh, it's not a good thing. The Suns and Clips played Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals last night. The Canadiens and Knights played Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Semifinals. Today is Friday, in case you haven't noticed. My main man, Joe Shuda, has another Rush Friday feature for us. Today he catches up with the always opinionated, never one to hold things back, former Pirates pitcher Jim Rooker in the 7 o'clock hour. And Jim, uh, he gets fired up today on a couple topics surrounding Major League Baseball. All that and more coming up in the next uh, two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we wrap up another week. Several ways to get involved on this show, as always. Check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word. Our Facebook page, uh, WCMD Cumberland Radio. All those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, whatever the kids are doing these days. And anytime you feel moved to do so, drop me a line. Got a question, comment, opinion? Uh, Feel free. Even if you want to post something witty or funny, or you may think it's interesting, I can retweet it. Or repost it if it's, you know, worthy. Uh, Rush line is open. 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this funky Friday. Show them all. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials. So if you missed anything, you can go back and check it out. Except for yesterday, because there was no show yesterday. So if you go looking for it, it's not there because uh, there was no show. Not for a lack of trying. Let me just say that much. Uh, I, I I worked yesterday. I was here yesterday. I was here ready to do a show yesterday. But because of some technical difficulties, uh, we were unable to go live. We were not live Uh, We just couldn't do it. We had to wait for IT to come through, which they did, but by the time they came through, it was too late to do a show. So I was indeed here yesterday. Just couldn't. And there's a lot of good stuff yesterday, too. It It was one of those days we had some good stuff to talk about. The Phillies and Nationals drama, right? Joe Girardi and Max Scherzer, right? Nats GM Mike Rizzo getting involved, called Girardi a con artist. I loved it. But I was here uh, in spirit. Actually, I was here physically. I was with you in spirit. Whatever. But uh, I don't even know where I I left off. Oh, the podcast page. Yeah, check it out. uh, Free Podbean app, phone, tablet, all that good stuff. All right. uh, Let's kick off today's shows. We kick off every show with a rock around the region. 
And we will start with Major League Baseball, where the Nationals and Kyle Schwarber continue to be on fire. Schwarber swings and drives one to deep center. Marte going back, way back at the wall. It is gone. Goodbye. A three-run homer for Kyle Schwarber. The call on the Nationals radio network, two more home runs for Schwarber. As the Nats beat the Marlins 7-3 to get back to the 500 mark. Schwarber has hit 12 home runs in his last 13 games and now has 21 on the season. Joe Ross, another good outing for him. He pitched seven scoreless innings. And Juan Soto had a pair of RBI doubles for the Nats who have won five straight and 12 of their last 15 games. Elsewhere, the Pirates were busy doing some yard work of their own in St. Louis. Swinging a high fly ball out to right. Newt Bar back, warning track, and gone! A home run for Brian Reynolds. A three-run shot to right. His 13th of the year, and the Pirates get a big one. They're up 5-1. to one. Frazier sends one out to right, deep, and he's just pulled a home run. Frazier with his fourth home run of the year. And the Pirates are leading 6-1. to one. Hit out to left and deep and gone. A home run for Phillip Evans. Giving the Pirates their seventh run and giving Bob no chance no of chance. being right tonight. Joe blocked the calls on the Pirates radio network. Three home runs for the worst home run hitting team in baseball. The Pirates win 8-2. They snap a nine-game losing streak to the Cardinals. Uh, Brian Reynolds had three hits, including that three-run bomb. For the Pirates, Chad Cool allowed just one run on three hits in six innings. Rookie Lars Newtbar picked up his first major league hit for St. Louis, which really, you know, doesn't really matter as far as I'm concerned. I just wanted to say Lars Newtbar, which sounds delicious. And then there's the Orioles, who had lost 19 straight road games before a six-game homestand. That didn't help because they lost five of those six games. So back out on the road they went, taking on the Blue Jays in Buffalo. And it didn't take long to see where that game was headed. Figure this out and work his way out of this ball game. Swing and a drive. This ball is deep. If it's fair, it's got a grand slam home run on the first pitch for Gurriel. The call on uh, Sportsnet, uh, Lords Guriel, a grand slam as part of a six-run first inning for Toronto off Dean Kramer. Jays went on to a blank the O's 9-0, handing them their 20th straight loss away from home. Kramer lasted just a third of an inning, gave up the six runs on just two hits because he walked five. The Orioles tied the 1916 Philadelphia Athletics for second longest road losing streak in American League history, too shy of the AL record set by the 1943 Athletics. In high school baseball, the West Virginia State Tournament got underway yesterday with the Triple A semifinals. A number three Bridgeport scored five runs in the third inning and went on to beat number two Jefferson 7 5. Kamian Gonzalez went 3-for-3 for Jefferson, which ends the season at 27-4. and Now, Bridgeport, you remember, had won six straight double-A state titles 
before having to move up in class. So now they can win a triple-A state title when they take on Hurricane uh, tomorrow morning. Today, the double-A and class-A semifinals will go down in Charleston. Top-seeded Moorfield begins its quest for a third straight class-A title when it takes on Williamstown this afternoon at 5 o'clock. And in the NFL, a bit of a shocker yesterday. The Steelers announced they were releasing six-time Pro Bowl guard David DeCastro. The move will save nearly $9 bucks on the salary cap. DeCastro did not take part in minicamp, and he told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that he needed a third surgery on his ankle. After releasing Castro, the Steelers later signed guard Trey Turner to a one-year deal. Turner made the Pro Bowl five times with the Panthers and most recently the Chargers. With the Castro gone, Chucks Okafor, a core four, excuse me, is the only they had, they had uh, an Okafor before. They had an Okafor and an Okafor. So this is Okafor <laughs> is the only returning starter on Pittsburgh's offensive line this season. And that is your rock around the region, brought to you by the Caprioli Group. Oh, I bet you Ben Roethlisberger is really happy he came back for one more year, right? There's nobody left. There's nobody left. They're all gone. I can just picture Roethlisberger like standing in the Steelers locker room like Will Smith in the final episode of Fresh Prince of of Bel-Air, right? Remember they all moved out and he's standing in the middle of the living room of the mansion? That's Roethlisberger. Like he's standing in the locker room looking around going, where, where's my O-line at? All right, because Pouncey retired. DeCastro just got cut. <laughs> There's nobody coming back. Only one returning starter for the Steelers on that offensive line. That's amazing. And it came as a shock because like, nobody, there was no hint that DeCastro was going to get, get released. Because, look, like I said, he didn't go to minicamp at all. And even when uh, Mike Tomlin was questioned about that, I don't know if he was just being coy about it. I don't know if he was just flat out lying about it. But about a week ago, somebody asked Tomlin about DeCastro. And this is a quote from the head coach. If I thought injury circumstances or reasons why people were not participating were significant, I would share them with you, end quote. Well, apparently there were injury circumstances, right? That's why DeCastro wasn't in minicamp, because he had the bum ankle, has to have a third surgery. So Tomlin's saying, hey, if, if I thought the injury circumstances were significant, i tell you. I either he didn't know, or he flat out lied about it. If you're you're the head coach, you got to know why your guy's not in minicamp, right? DeCastro was one of the best linemen the Steelers have had in a long, long time. Like I said, six-time Pro Bowler. And it just leading up to it, it was just uh, you thought he'd be the anchor of this year's line. Now he's gone. I don't think it's a money issue. Like I said, they, they will save almost $9 bucks on the cap. 
So that you know at, that at least doesn't hurt, right? That, that helps a little bit. He played in 13 of the final 14 games last year. So he's gone. Now, the Trey Turner signing, that's not terrible either. I will say that. Now, he only played nine games last season because of a groin injury. He says he's back to 100%, which is good. He has no guaranteed money left over on his contract uh, from the Panthers. And I guess what happened with the Chargers is, I guess he asked to be traded, and they couldn't pull it off, so they, they, they released him. So he was basically a free agent. I'm trying to look at his, uh, let's see, Turner selected five Pro Bowls in his first six NFL seasons. He was taken in the third round by the Panthers in 2014. Uh, He's played in 93 career games with 89 starts. So he, if he's 100%, if that groin is 100%, he should be able to fill in nicely for David DeCastro. And again, it's only a one-year deal for Turner, so you know Steelers had nothing to lose by doing that. So we'll see, we'll see. And I saw this yesterday. Uh, somebody put it on Twitter. It was uh, Josh Roundtree, uh, Steelers offensive line at the moment. Okay, left tackle is uh, a Chooks Akorafor or Chucks Akorafor, who did not grade very well at right tackle in his first year as a starter last year. At left guard, Kevin Dotson, who was the rookie last year, he played well. He'll, he'll be a good one, I do believe. Center, no idea. It could be B.J. Finney, who they brought back. It could be uh, Hassenauer. It could be rookie Kendrick Green. At right guard, it could be Finney. It could be, I don't even know who this guy is. Who is, is that Aviante Collins? Is that how you pronounce that? But now I have to assume with the signing of Turner, he'll be in that spot. And then at right tackle, Zach Banner, who has two career starts. He's coming off a torn ACL. That is, <laughs> that's what the Steelers are looking at on their offensive line. Oh, that's, and again, a core four is the only returning starter from last year. Good luck with that. Hey, I told you before. Not too long ago, uh, whenever the schedules came out, that the Steelers were going to have a losing record. It would be the first losing record in Mike Tomlin's tenure there in Pittsburgh. And this does absolutely nothing to change my mind. Nothing. Why would it? I've said before, I, and it, it's a cliche, But if it wasn't true, it wouldn't be a cliche. Everything starts up front. Offensively, defensively, everything starts up front. Offensive line, defensive line. You got to have the protectors, right? You can't run the ball without a line. You can't get, you know, pass protection or time to throw without it. You got to have a line. And now the Steelers are coming in with a very unproven run game. They They were terrible last year running the ball. A quarterback who is... Literally on his last legs. I mean, he's got to be done after this year. Roethlisberger. He has to be. And now they have an offensive line that's just, uh, it seems to be in shambles. If they finish, well, I guess, 
I guess you can't really finish 500 anymore, right? With 17 games, it's impossible. You can't go eight and eight. So if they go nine and eight, it'll be a miracle. It might be Tomlin's greatest coaching job ever, I think. Defense is still going to be good, as it usually is. But that offensive line is a mess. Unless all these guys that I mentioned step up their game and perform better than expected. And again, the addition of Turner is going to help. Because you'll have Dotson at left guard, you have Turner at right guard. That's not terrible. If they want to plug in the rookie Kendrick Green from Illinois at center, that's not terrible. The tackles scare the life out of me. <laughs> the tackle positions scare the life out of me, especially at left tackle. No offense to a core four. He's decent. Decent. He's okay. Again, he didn't grade well last year in his first year as a starter at right tackle. So now he's got to move left tackle, we think, and he's got to protect Roethlisberger's blind side. Well, we'll have to wait and see, right? Look, look, it's only it's June, okay? A lot of stuff to work out still. But the release of DeCastro yesterday, again, kind of a shock. I don't think anybody saw that coming, except for maybe the Steelers and DeCastro. And DeCastro kind of hinted that he would still like to play. Like after he has his third, you know, surgery on his ankle, like he did not rule out playing for somebody else. I guess it all depends on the ankle, right? He said that uh, he tried to fix it last year, but I guess there's uh, bone spurs, right? And kind of affected his play all of last year, which may have been one of his worst years. He didn't have a great year. The whole line didn't have a great year last year. So we'll see. Watch him him go to uh, Baltimore. (laughs) Isn't that where Villanueva went? He went to Baltimore too, right? And he's gone from that offensive line. He wasn't that good either last year. Would that be something to wake up one day and have Villanueva and DeCastro both <laughs> in Baltimore? That'd be great. All right. Uh, let's. We want to get to. Yeah, let's do baseball here. Then we'll go to break after that. Just a couple uh, news and notes from what we were talking about in the Rock Around the Region. Kyle Schwarber is just killing it. The man is on fire. He is on a ridiculous stretch right now. Last night, he became the fourth player in Major League history to hit eight home runs and drive in 15 runs in a five-game span. I mean, we repeat that. Eight homers, 15 RBI in just five games. The only other players to do it, Sean Green, Manny Ramirez, and Frank Thomas. He's got 21 homers on the year, which is fourth most in all of baseball. He's homered 12 times in the last 13 games. He's the first player in Major League history to homer 11 times in 13 games from the leadoff spot. First player ever from the number one slot in the lineup. He is absolutely killing it. Here is uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez. You know, what can I say? He's seen the ball well. Um, and that's a two-strike approach right there, by the way, that he hit that ball that way. So, um, but hey, I, you know, when he's when he's like that, you don't say much to him. You let him go out there and just play the game and, and let him get his swings. And, uh, and he's been awesome. You know, he's been also awesome getting us going. Uh, he's, he's knocked some big runs in for us. So, you know, hopefully he stays hot for a while. 
it, it doesn't surprise me with Kyle. It really doesn't. I mean, that's who he is. I've known that with, about him, you know. Um, he's not afraid, you know. He's not afraid to, to take that leadership role. He's not afraid to get in, get in a teammate's face when, when he thinks, you know, they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing. So, um, and he's a winner. I said that before, you know. He's a, he's a winner. He loves to compete. And, and you're, seeing, you're seeing it right now. Now, look, there's no coincidence as Schwarber has been hot, the Nats as a team. Uh, has been hot. They're back to 500 at 36 and 36. They are now all alone in second place in the NL East, three and a half games behind the first place Mets. They are a game and a half ahead of the Phillies and two full games up on the Braves. So the Nats, as we talked about a while ago, starting to make their move. It's a long season. There was no need to panic in the first month, month and a half. Remember, another cliche here, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it seems like for now, with this just incredible stretch by Schwarber, the Nats are starting to find themselves and starting to get back into a groove a bit. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you got the Orioles, who are now an AL worst 23-52. and 52 including 11-26 and 26 away from home. We told you earlier they have now lost 20 straight games on the road after losing to Toronto in Buffalo last night, the Buffalonto Blue Jays. Those 20 straight road losses, second most, tied for second most in American League history. They have lost 14 in their last 15 overall. They lost 9 nothing last night. You combine that with Wednesday's 13 nothing loss to Houston. It's the first time they've been shut out in consecutive losses of at least nine runs since they were the St. Louis Browns. They were swept in a doubleheader 12 nothing and 14 nothing at Detroit in 1936. Dean Kramer was abysmal. Only recorded one out, walked a career-high five in the first inning. His ERA is now a robust 7.25. And how about the Pirates? Heading into last night, they were dead last in Major League Baseball with just 52 home runs as a team. Last night, they hit three of them in that 8-2 win over the Cardinals. Now, they still only have 55 home runs, which is still 13 behind the next worst teams in baseball. The Diamondbacks and Mets have hit 68 each. But at least for one night, the Pirates, who haven't been playing terribly lately after that 10-game losing streak, a little bit of power. Adam Frazier, Brian Reynolds, and Phillip Evans with a pinch hit homer. So, that happened very often. So if you're a Pirates fan, you enjoy it. Three dingers in one night. And the Bucks snap that nine-game losing streak uh, to the Cardinals. All right. Uh, time for a break. We got news and uh, weather coming up when we come back. Last night, NBA, game three of the Western Conference Finals. CP3 returns for the Suns. Was it enough to give them a 3-0 series lead? Talk about it next. Stick around. 102.1 FM. AM 1230, WCMD.
is the morning rush. Now, I'm sure it may still be there in like the heavily wooded areas, but at least, and I noticed this just yesterday. It's not something that was on my radar. It's not something that you, you know, that I gradually noticed. It was just out of nowhere. I was outside on uh, my back deck. As opposed to the front deck, which would be a front porch. And I was just like, huh. Well, you know what I don't hear anymore? Those stupid things. So it looks like we are on the uh, the back stretch, the home stretch of the cicadas uh, disappearing for another 17 years. All right. Anyway. NBA last night. Game three of the Western Conference Finals, Clips and Suns. And look, everything was looking pretty good for the Suns heading in to last night's game in L.A. Uh, Phoenix had a 2-0 series lead. They had won nine straight playoff games overall. The Clippers still did not have Kawhi Leonard. And the Suns were getting Chris Paul back from COVID protocol. CP3 missed the first two games of the series, which the Suns won anyway. So you had to figure, hey, they're up 2-0 in the series. They're getting him back. A guy who averaged, what was it, 25 points and 10 assists in the previous series. And the Clips still didn't have Kawhi. So if you're a Suns fan or if you were a betting person, you had to figure, hey, game three was going to be a piece of cake, right? No. Two on one the other way. George and Mann on the break. Paul George with the left. Smoked the layup. He missed it. Mann with the rebound and the stick back. And a little bit of flex. Putting some muscle in his hustle. The call on ESPN Radio after trailing by two at the half. The Clippers went on a 21-3 run in the third quarter to take a 71-56 lead. And then Paul George, who had a great game, uh, put an exclamation point on the end of that third quarter. It's 77-69, George at the front court, lets one fly. Got it to go on class! Paul George on the J-O-B! Marky just blew some kisses to the crowd. That shot at the buzzer gave L.A. an 80-69 lead heading into the fourth quarter. Suns did make a little run to try to get back into it, but the Clippers wouldn't let them. Wouldn't let them get close. They went on to win the game, 106-92, to cut their series deficit in half. After missing, and we talked about this earlier in the week, after missing those two crucial free throws at the end of game two, PG-13 responded in Game 3, 27 points, 15 rebounds, 8 assists in 43 minutes. He spoke with Rachel Nichols after the game. I mean, this team is tough. This team is tough. We do whatever it takes. We trust one another. We got each other's backs. We just play hard. Um, You're going to beat us. It's, it's, we, we just got to be. It just got to be one of those nights that you beat us. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we just got great resilience. Uh, T. Lou just does a great job making adjustments, counters. We, we come out, we play hard. You had another fantastic night. There was that thrilling shot at the end of the third quarter, but that was just part of a great night for you. 23 points, 
43 minutes, Paul. You guys have been playing every other day pretty much for about three weeks now. How are you able to maintain being the leader of this team and contributing so much with Kawhi still out? Uh, I mean, my teammates just, they allowed me to play. Um, and uh, tonight, um, I got on eight backs in the fourth quarter. Um, I just, you know, told myself I'm going to do whatever it, it, it takes. Uh, I'm going to make the extra plays, rebound, I'm going to box out. Um, Reggie did a great job of putting it away. Pat, um, they just made big plays down the stretch. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going to just give everything I have. I don't I don't care how many minutes I have to play. Uh, that part doesn't concern me. It's, it's when I go home, in my opinion, right now. And I'm going to just leave it on the floor. Reggie Jackson had 23 points. Zubac had 15 points and a career-high 16 boards for the Clips. Suns were absolutely terrible from the floor. They made just 35 of 90 shots. Chris Paul, 15 points, 12 assists in his first game of the series. But he shot just 5 of 19 from the floor. Devin Booker only had 15 points. He was 5 of 21. So if you do the math, CP3 and Booker, were combined 10 of 40 from the floor. After the game, Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy was on with Scott Van Pelt talking about the adjustments the Clippers and head coach Ty Lue had to make, uh, especially defensively, to win game three. Chris Paul coming back off so many days off, you could expect him to shoot poorly. But I liked what Ty Lue did. I, I liked that he started Terrence Mann, so he had Mann on Paul, and he had Beverly on Booker. And I think that is a tremendous defensive backcourt. And Mark, you, you, we hear so much about adjustments, and having lived through them, I always wonder, is it really buttons being pushed? But as Jeff just alludes to, what did you observe from that, from that Clipper team that was different in this game than the other two? They got into them defensively and they took them out of their sets. It didn't allow them to play with pace. It forced them to be on their heels offensively. And I just said a couple of minutes ago, Devin Booker wore two masks today, Plastic yeah. One and Patrick Beverly. He did an outstanding job of being committed, disrupt him, make him work for everything, and get under his skin. And he won the ball game defensively. Jeff, as a coach, and, and, and you guys alluded to it, I mean, Beverly, we, we know his story, and then there were times when he wasn't playing, and just the ability to keep a player engaged, a player like Beverly who can mean so much. What's the key to keeping guys professional and engaged so that when the time comes, Beverly's prepared for a performance like tonight? I think it all goes back to the player's mindset. If he actually cares about the team, he may not love his role at any one particular time, but he'll accept it and do his best in it so that his team can perform. Instead of being an energy drain, he's an energy booster. And I thought Patrick Beverly, when you look back, when he wasn't playing, he was engaged. He was giving of himself. And I think when you're coaching, there's only so much you can do to impact attitude. I don't think Ty Lue had to do a whole lot to impact Patrick Beverly's attitude in a positive way. Now, look, uh, the Clippers aren't out of the woods yet. I said uh, yesterday, well, no, there was no show yesterday. Uh, Wednesday, when we were talking about game two, the Clippers had to win both games at home, games three and four. They can't afford to split. All right, they, they cut the deficit in half last night. That's great. All right, they had to win that one. Now the series is 2-1. If they lose game four tomorrow... They're down 3-1, the series is over. They're not going to come back from 3-1. So half of the job is done last night. they got to hold serve, home court tomorrow, and tie the series up 
and send it back to Phoenix at two games apiece. Tonight is uh, game two of the Eastern Conference Finals in Milwaukee. Bucks hosting the Hawks. Of course, Atlanta, I'm not going to say they stole game one. They just won game one by, it was what, 116 to 113? Is that what it was? Yeah. Trey Young continued his amazing playoff run, 48 points. And Brian Windhorst from ESPN says that you know, he is what Young and the Hawks have done so far this playoff series has been nothing short of amazing. You know what the Hawks just did? They just won game one on the road for the third consecutive game, the third consecutive series. That like That's Michael Jordan stuff. You want to know why I say it's Michael Jordan stuff? Because it hasn't happened since Jordan did it in 89 when Jordan was ascendant. Um, and uh, watching Trey come into these arenas and just grab them by the throat and have no fear and just take these games, to lead teams to victory when he's hot, to lead teams to victory when he's not. He tweaks his shoulder in the last round and has 18 assists in the game because he can't make a shot. Shimmy's on Milwaukee, and they just sit there and watch him do it (laughs) as he dances around their court. You don't think that's a man who has a presence and is a superstar? He's blown me away. One of the most impressive playoff runs and unexpected playoff runs I've ever seen in my career. Not because... You know that they've accomplished anything yet, but because this guy had never done it before, and he's out there walking around like it's his tenth playoff. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be more impressed with him. Again, that game two tonight in Milwaukee. I can't imagine. I can't imagine the Hawks taking both games on the road. Who knows? At this point, anything can happen. Especially if Trey continues to play like he's been playing. All right, time for a break. When we come back, some more NBA news, uh, a coaching hire, and another possible coaching hire as the, you know, musical coaching chairs round and round and round in the NBA. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Some NBA coaching news. Last week... Rick Carlisle uh, resigned as head coach of the uh, Mavericks, and it didn't take long for him to find work somewhere else. Uh, Carlisle agreed to a four-year deal to return as head coach of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, the deal was worth about 29 mil plus incentives, even though you know they didn't disclose the details of the contract. It leaks out eventually. <laughs> Carlisle spent 13 years in Dallas, became the franchise's winningest coach, 555 wins, 478 losses, led the Mavs to their only championship in uh, 2011. But again, he resigned. Then a week later, he signs on to go back to Indiana. Uh, he was the coach with the Pacers. From the 2003-04 season to the 06-07 season. Had a winning record back then. Made the playoffs three times, including an Eastern Conference Finals appearance in 2004. And he was also an assistant under Larry Bird when Bird was the head coach in Indiana. He already ranks fourth on the Pacers' all-time wins list. (laughs) So he goes back to the Pacers He's only two wins behind Nate McMillan, so he'll pass up Nate at the very least, and Larry Brown as well. 
So Carlisle goes from the Mavs to the Pacers. And a source told ESPN yesterday, the Mavs are finalizing a deal to hire Jason Kidd as the franchise's new head coach. And that's a move that uh, ESPN's Bobby Marks, well, he doesn't really give it high marks. Having been with Jason in uh, Brooklyn in that 13-14 season, I thought Jason probably did his best work uh, after January 1st with a, you know, session with a, you know, a, a tough locker room there. Uh, it didn't work out in, in Milwaukee. You know, he had Giannis before Giannis really became Giannis. I, I just think it's interesting because here's an organization that their image is not good as far as everything that's gone on in that office. You know, they had the scandal a few years ago. And now you go out and hire a coach who's had a suspect past. I mean, we all know, well, we're well aware of everything that's gone on in his off-the-court life. And, you know, Mark Cuban turns around and goes in this th- direction, and it's nothing against Jason Kidd as a coach or as a player. But I don't know. It doesn't sit quite right with me as far as that's the direction they're going. Yeah. So Bobby not feeling the report. It's not official yet. The Mavs haven't said anything. But the reported hire of Jason Kidd, uh, as a new head coach. All right, uh, let's switch gears quickly from the NBA to Major League Baseball. Entering yesterday, there had already been six no-hitters thrown in MLB this year. The Cubs made it seven last night, and it took more than one guy to do it. Kimbrell is ready, and the 0-2. Swing and a miss. The Cubs have done it. A combined no-hitter for the first time in the long and legendary history of the Chicago Cubs. And the Cubs win the ball game by a score of four to nothing. Zach Davies, Ryan Zapera, Andrew Chafin, and Craig Kimbrell combine on a no-hitter, the 17th no-hitter in franchise history. The call right there on the Marquee Sports Network. 17th no-hitter all-time for the Cubs. But again, the first combined no-hitter. Those four guys getting it done, shutting down the Dodgers uh, for nothing. The no-hitter, the seventh this season, which ties for the most in a single season since 1900, and it's only June 25th. So chances are pretty good the no-hitter record for a single season uh, will be broken this year. After the game, the guy who sealed the deal, uh, Craig Kimbrell for the Cubs, said he had no idea what was on the line when he came in the game in the ninth. Feels great. Uh, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I had no idea um, until the last out, and everybody came running out. Um, I was just locked into the game, and uh, I was just going out there to do my job. And uh, I mean, everybody did such a great job today. I mean, uh, Zach took the ball and went out there and. Did what we needed him to do, and uh, we needed this game today. And, I mean, there's no better way to do it than this. Apparently, the entire bullpen had no clue. Now, I don't know what goes on in a Major League bullpen, what they talk about, what they do. I have a hard time believing that nobody in that bullpen knew the Cubs had a no-hitter going. Like, how does that happen? How are you the closer? Now, I understand you get into a game, you get focused, Right? You get centered. But how do you go into a game and not know the situation? 
Like, how, how does Kimbrell go into the game? And if he says it, I guess I have to take his word for it. I just don't know how that happens. How do you go in there and not know that you're three outs away from a no-hitter? I just... <laughs> it's crazy. Right? Like, the Cubs bullpen were apparently the only people in the entire stadium that had no clue that they had a no-hitter on the line. And it maybe, maybe it worked out for the best. Maybe if you didn't know about it, you know, or if you did know, maybe you feel a little bit of pressure. Maybe he doesn't get the job done. So maybe it worked out for the best that he had no idea that he closed on a no-hitter. Those four pitchers, by the way, walked eight batters. Each, each pitcher walked at least one guy. And they still got the job done with the no-no and the shutout. That's amazing. Eight walks. Edwin Jackson walked eight when he threw a no-hitter for the Diamondbacks against Tampa in 2010. That 149-pitch effort. All right, our number one done. When we come back, we'll rock around the region. Then our Rush Friday feature with former Pirates pitcher and broadcaster Jim Rooker. That's coming up next. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, uh, not the word C. Actually, I had this conversation up at uh, Smart Choice Computers yesterday. Finally got my laptop back. Let me just say this before we get into anything else. As you know, if you listen to the show for a while, my laptop went belly up. Uh, it was last week, right? Two Tuesdays ago. And I took it to Smart Choice to try to salvage whatever they could over to my new laptop. And they had it like for over a week. That's how jacked up the hard drive was on the old laptop. But they they called me, and they're like, hey, it's done. Come up and get it. And thankfully, from what I could tell, most of the stuff was able to be recovered from the old laptop, which you talk about a huge sigh of relief. Because I had a lot of stuff on that laptop, like most people do, right? Pictures, work stuff, personal stuff, co- coaching stuff, from, you know, from my perspective, anyway. And I got home after I stopped that DDB for a couple a couple sips and opened it up and I'm looking and I'm searching and I'm like, it looks like most of the stuff is here. And so it's just a tremendous relief. I'm so thankful that Smart Choice was able to, able to pull it off and, and get most of my stuff over. The only thing, and this is no fault of Smart Choice, all my passwords are gone. So when I go to log into certain things, certain emails, certain, you know, it used to be it's autofill or you, you know, you ask your computer to save the password. As I went through a lot of my accounts and stuff, they're they're gone. And some of the passwords, I have no idea what they are. So, so now I'm gonna spend a, a good chunk of this weekend trying to recover all of my passwords for my multitude of of accounts and pages and everything else. But aside from that, it looks like they were able to, because I can't even get on. You can't even, 
turn on the old laptop. I mean, you could turn it on, but it does nothing. That's how bad it was. So uh, thanks to Smart Choice, for one thing, for getting that done. But then we had a conversation. I, I walked in there, and somebody asked me. They are like, you know, because they asked me what my name was for the account, and I told them. And the poor kid was sitting there trying to pronounce my last name, and he was he was struggling like most people do. So I helped him out, told him how to pronounce it. And then another guy behind the counter, Nick, was like, are you by any chance Tony C. on the radio? I'm like, yeah, that is that is me. That is I. And then we got into the dis- discussion about just using my last initial because my last name is impossible to pronounce if you don't know how to do it, right? Unless you know me, unless I, unless I tell you how to pronounce my last name, you'll never get it. It's nobody, uh, I take it back, one person, one, in, in my lifetime has ever pronounced my last name properly on the first try. And believe me when I say she was as Italian as Italian can get. That's the only reason why she was able to pull it off. Other than that, nobody. So anyway, that's why it's Rush Tony C, a Twitter account, coming full circle now. It's the letter C, not the word. Because the last name is just not going to happen. Uh, Facebook page at, uh, what is it? WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, all that stuff. Drop me a line, message, just whatever. If you feel like it. If not, it's, it's all right. Uh, rush line is open, 301-759-2628. 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, shum on this funky Friday. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. So if you missed any part of the show, go back and check it out. For instance, if you missed the first hour, we talked NBA, the Clippers getting a game three win over the Suns to cut that series down to two to one. We took a brief look at tonight's game two in the East Finals, Bucks and Hawks. Some NBA coaching news, Rick Carlisle, after leaving the Mavericks last week, he hired by the Pacers his second tour with the Pacers. And the Mavericks reportedly get ready to hire Jason Kidd as their new head coach. Also talked a lot of Major League Baseball, which we'll do right now as we rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we'll start with the Red Hot Nationals and the Red Hot Kyle Schwarber, who continue to be on fire. Schwarber swings and drives one to deep center. Marte going back, way back at the wall. It is gone. Goodbye. A three-run homer for Kyle Schwarber. The call on the Nationals radio network. Two more home runs for Schwarber as the Nats beat the Marlins 7-3 to get back to the 500 mark. Schwarber has hit 12 home runs in his last 13 games has 21 on the season, which is fourth most in Major League Baseball. Last night, he became the fourth player in Major League history to hit eight home runs and drive in 15 in a five-game span. The other three to do it, Sean Green. Remember Sean Green? Manny Ramirez and Frank Thomas. He's also the first player in Major League history to homer 11 times 
in a 13-game span from the leadoff spot. Schwarber killing it. Joe Ross, seven strong innings for the Nats. Juan Soto, a pair of RBI doubles. Uh, They have won five straight, 12 of their last 15. They are back up to 500 at 36 and 36, all alone in second place in the NL East. Elsewhere, the Pirates were busy uh, doing some yard work of their own in St. Louis. Swinging a high fly ball out to right. Newt Bar back, warning track, and gone! A home run for Brian Reynolds. A three-run shot to right. His 13th of the year, and the Pirates get a big one. They're up 5-1. to one. Frazier sends one out to right, deep, and he's just pulled a home run. Frazier with his fourth home run of the year. And the Pirates are leading 6-1. to one. Hit out to left and deep, and gone! A home run for Phillip Evans. Giving the Pirates their seventh run and giving Bob no chance of being right tonight. The calls on the Pirates radio network. Eight to the final as the Bucs snapped a nine-game losing streak to the Cardinals. Brian Reynolds, three hits, including that three-run bomb. Chad Cool allowed just one run on three hits in six innings. The Pirates, who entered the game as the worst home run hitting team in all of baseball, with 52 homers as a team, three of them last night. Now they have uh, 55 as a team. Rookie Lars Newtbar picked up his first major league hit for St. Louis. As far as I'm concerned, personally, no big deal. I just wanted to say Lars Newtbar. It's a great name. <laughs> My wife said he sounds delicious. Yo, let me get a piece of that Lars Newtbar. Anyway, and then there's the Orioles, who had lost 19 straight road games before their six-game homestand. Well, that didn't help because they lost five of those six games at home. So, back out on the road they went, taking on the Blue Jays in Buffalo, and it did not take long to see where that game was headed. Figure this out and work his way out of this ball game. Swing and a drive. This ball is deep. If it's fair, it's good. The call on Sportsnet lowers Guriel a grand slam as part of a six-run first inning off Dean Kramer. Blue Jays went on to blank the O's 9-0, handing them their 20th straight loss on the road. Kramer lasted just a third of an inning. He gave up the six runs on just two hits because he walked a career-high five in that first inning. Only got one out. His ERA now a robust 7.25. The Orioles tied the 1916 Philadelphia Athletics for the second longest road losing streak in American League history, too shy of the AL record set by the 1943 Athletics. O's now have the worst record in the AL, 23-52. They've lost 14 of their last 15 overall. Combined with Wednesday's 13-0 loss to Houston, they lost 9-0 last night. It's the first time the franchise was shut out in consecutive losses of at least nine runs since they were the St. Louis Browns. They were swept in a doubleheader by Detroit 12-0 and 14-0 back in 1936. Ouch, babe. 
In high school baseball, the West Virginia State Tournament got underway yesterday with the AAA semifinals. Number three, Bridgeport, scored five runs in the third inning and went on to beat number two, Jefferson, 7-5. Camian Gonzalez went three for three for Jefferson, which ends the season at 27-4. Bridgeport, which you'll remember, they had won six straight AA state championships before having to move up in class. So now they can win a triple-A title when they take on Hurricane uh, tomorrow morning. Today, the double-A and class-A semifinals will go down in Charleston. Top-seeded Moorfield begins its quest for a third straight class-A state championship when it takes on Williamstown uh, this afternoon at 5 o'clock. And one NFL note the Steelers announced yesterday, in a bit of a shocker, uh, they were going to release six-time Pro Bowl guard David DeCastro. The move will save nearly $9 million bucks, uh, in salary cap money. DeCastro, who did not take part in minicamp, told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that he needed a third surgery on his ankle. Now, after releasing Castro, the Steelers later signed guard Trey Turner to a one-year deal. Turner made the Pro Bowl five times with the Panthers and most recently the Chargers. With DeCastro gone, Achukes Okorafor, is the only returning starter on Pittsburgh's offensive line this season. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Oh, I bet you Ben Roethlisberger is so happy that he came back for another year. (laughs) And I said this in the first hour. I'm just picturing Roethlisberger standing in the locker room, like around where the offensive linemen would get dressed, their lockers, like Will Smith in the final episode of uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Remember, uh, Will Smith is just standing in the middle of the living room after they all moved out, and then the show was over. Uh, ben is in the locker room looking around. There's nobody. Pouncey retired. DeCastro just got released. Villanueva's gone to Baltimore. <laughs> There's nobody left on that offensive line. Just one return. Now, look. The signing of Turner will help for sure. He's a good guard, right? And he really, the Chargers tried to trade him, couldn't. And then they just released him. So he was a free agent. Now, he did, I think he either played in nine games last season or he missed nine games because he had a groin injury. He says he's 100%. So he'll help. He's he's good. He's good. So he'll help a little bit. But, boy, there's a lot of question marks now on that Steelers offensive line. At left tackle, you have a core four who did not grade out very well as a right tackle last season. He had to play right tackle because Zach Banner got hurt. He missed all of last year, the torn ACL. He's coming back. He only has two career starts. Those are your tackles if you're the Steelers going into training camp. A core four on the left side, Banner on the right side. That could be problematic. In the middle, might not be terrible because Dotson is going to be the left guard. He filled in for DeCastro for a couple games last year. He was good, and he was a rookie last year. He'll be okay. You have the signing of Turner. He'll be the other guard. He'll be okay. Up the middle, not quite sure. They brought B.J. Finney back. He could be the center. Hassenauer's there. They got the rookie uh, Kendrick Green from Illinois. He could be a guard. He could be a center. But I think up the middle, the Steelers should be fine. 
But, man, out there on the edges, the tackle spots, I don't know. I <laughs> I just don't know how good they're going to be. And, look, when the schedule came out and we looked at it, I said I, I, I truly believe. Well, I didn't need to see the schedule to tell you the Steelers are going to have a losing record. They're going to have their first losing record under Mike Tomlin. The news from yesterday did nothing to change my mind. Their offensive line, they're going to struggle. And, again, you can't have a 500 record anymore with a 17-game schedule. But if they go 9-8, and it'll be an absolute miracle. Just my opinion. All right. Uh, Let's go to break. And when we come back, we've got some news and weather coming up. When we come back, we'll have our Rush Friday feature. My main man, Joe Shuda. Uh, Caught up with former Pirates pitcher and broadcaster Jim Rooker. Rooker always uh, opinionated. He had some things to say about the state of Major League Baseball. You don't want to miss it. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Time to check out my main man, Joe Shuda. Check out all his stuff on his website, 2MinuteTO.com. That's the number 2MinuteTO.com. He has another Rush Friday feature for us today as he catches up with former Pirates pitcher and broadcaster Jim Rooker, uh, who has uh, some thoughts about the state of Major League Baseball. You don't want to miss it. Here is Joe Shuda in our Rush Friday feature. It's time for the Rush Friday feature with Joe Shuda. My guest on the Rush Friday feature spent all or parts of 13 seasons pitching in the majors. Well known with the Pirates winning 1979 World Series, Jim Rooker. How's life in Jacksonville, Florida? Life is good. The weather is warm. I'm on the golf course uh, twice a week at least, so uh, I have no complaints. Besides, if I did complain, nobody would listen anyway. (laughs) Well, you made the decision to move from the Pittsburgh area to Jacksonville 15 years ago, so sell me on the advantages of living in Jacksonville. Well, uh, I would say number one in my mind, believe it or not, the roads are much, much nicer. <laughs> Getting around anywhere because it's so easy to drive around it. It's a slower-paced place. It has everything you want. Where we live, we're right off the, not next to the ocean, but right off the Atlantic Ocean on the intercoastal. And we're only three and a half miles. You have golf. You have restaurants, beaches. A lot of nice people here. For me, because I grew up in Southern California, so Florida to me is just, uh, it's, a, it's a slice of paradise. And, and for also Jacksonville, I think, is still a good, well-kept secret. We are joined by former pirate Jim Rooker. Jim, you speak with guys about the state of baseball today, and we don't want to sound like dinosaurs about the good old days, but currently you have the 237 is the major league average for batters. It's the lowest since 1968. Strikeouts are on pace to be the most ever in the history of baseball. What's wrong? Well, first of all, that's a very difficult question to answer because I'm so far removed from the game. And the fact that I don't watch baseball anymore. I haven't watched a game, a full a game since last year. I've gotten so sour on it that it's just the things that they're doing to the game. They're changing it so much and for other reasons that you hear about it. And I'm not going to say when we played, but former teammates, I'll put it that way. 
And guys like Mike Lavalier, Milt May, Donnie Robinson, they're younger than I am, but they were still in baseball after I left, especially when it came to the hitting part. Milt and Mike could not understand this launch angle and all this stuff, and they just shake their head. And Whoever makes these decisions to bring up this kind of stuff and decide to, I guess, kind of change the structure of baseball, in my mind, I think they're complete idiots because it's ruining the game. But the numbers you mentioned, if they're not seeing these numbers and don't understand what's going, why is that happening? Number one, they won't recognize there's a problem or else they would try to fix it. But that's the first way to fix a problem is admit there is one and then go about teaching kids the basic fundamentals about how to approach a ball, hit a ball, and that stuff. I don't I don't know that they're doing that anymore like they used to because it was so basic and fundamental. I just think they see a kid with talent and he's doing so much better than other kids that, okay, he must be this good, but then he gets with equal competition and all of a sudden... Things change. And in my mind, because you mentioned the, the downside of what's happening with skitters today, I honestly think that pitchers might be the smarter guys on the field because they adjust to all of these rule changes through the years and still figure out a way to get these guys out consistently. So I think it's a mindset deal. There are a lot of people that say, I don't know what I'm talking about, which I would love to have a conversation with that person, you know, with the analytics stuff and all of this stuff that they've injected to the game. I think a lot of these people never played the game that are doing this, and they're ruining it. In my opinion, they're ruining the game. But that's, I mean, that's just the way I think. Jim Rooker joins us on the Rush Friday feature. Since we have a very low batting average, baseball-wise, we're going to do something to the pitchers again. We're going to check them to make sure they don't have anything on the baseball. And that's been going on for years. You have the spitball. Explain to people why you can't just take a baseball that's like a cue ball and throw that. Well, it's all about the grip. It's all about being able to grip the ball properly to get a certain type of bin on the ball. The more spin that you can put on the ball or the rotation, the tighter and the more revolutions per second or half a second creates movement in the ball more so than with less spin. So in years past, today as well, that's what the seams are for. You grip the seams a certain way, the seams on the baseball that are hand-stitched. The way you put your fingers on the seams, different ways, different angles, either across seam, with the seam, that's how you make the ball either sink or curve or you throw a slider it makes it go down and away a little bit and it's all done with the way you place your fingers on the seams and i tried to do something with the baseball years and years ago it's a long story but i I won't get into that now but it didn't work for me because i was just messing around with it just to see if i could have any effect but i know pitchers that were effective doing that sort of thing it just was a comfort zone for them with me it just didn't work for me so i just stayed with the with the normal natural stuff, you know, rub the ball up a little bit and then try to get a a nice grip on the ball and it would do what you want it to do most of the time. So I think they have to blame somebody. So they have to point the finger at the pitchers. They just didn't do this starting a year ago or two years. They've been doing it for a hundred years. And all of a sudden these people are saying, oh, well, the pitchers are putting foreign stuff on the ball. Duh, wake up, you idiots. They've been doing it for so long. And all of a sudden, Some guy says we're going to change things now because the pitchers are doing, geez, a hitter only gets pine tar, rosin, stickum, face guards, elbow guards. You know, they can walk up there in a a sheet of armor. Really what that does 
is takes the fear from the hitter to the pitcher because most hitters, they don't want to get a pitcher mad at them because the pitcher, they know they could get one in the ear or one in the rib if something goes wrong. So, you know, I'm always going to defend the pitchers. I just don't understand in the last 40, 45 years, every rule change that's been made has been to benefit the hitter, but yet the pitchers figure out a way to adjust all this stuff and still get them out, and guys still hit 180 and 210 and stay in the big leagues. And I've never been able to figure that one out. We are joined by former Pirate Jim Rooker. Jim, you were a member of some really good Pirate teams, and you look back, 1979 was the last time the Pirates that won the World Series. What's happened with the organization? Since the loss in 92 to the Braves in the National League Championship game, the Pirates have lost the most games of any National League team since then. That's amazing. I didn't know that, and it's embarrassing, especially when you have a history of an organization like Pittsburgh. Started winning in, in the, the, the series in the 60s and things, in especially the 70s, it was so good. I just shake my head when I hear stuff like that. I didn't. Re- I knew. I knew they were bad, but I didn't know they were that bad. But it all starts at the top. It all starts with ownership. And, you know, you don't have to have a genius for an owner, but you have to have someone who's willing to put, and it comes down to money, put enough into the organization to hire the right people, scouting, for example, managing, coaching in the minor leagues. If you don't have the talent, I mean, it all comes out. We always used to say, you know, we had a little slogan, you know, in the 70s, if you, if you don't have the horses, you can't go to the post. And what they don't have now are the horses. And I don't know what their minor league system is like. But apparently, uh, to me, it always started to think of all the guys that came up through the minor leagues with the Pirates in the 70s. And they had, I mean, that was really the, the nucleus of those real good ball clubs. With today, I just don't know why you don't have the ability to sign the type of players, draft the right players. And part of it is scouting. You know what? They're a great scout, but there are bad scouts too. And I'm not saying one, one that the Pirates don't have great scouts, but it's always a combination. You're never going to be able to put your finger on one certain thing. It's always a culmination of things that make winning and losing. And, and you have to figure it out. Some organizations do, some don't. It's not easy, but when you have good leadership at the top, and, and I'll tell you, when I got to Pittsburgh and Joe Brown was the general manager there, I had, to me, he's still the smartest man I've ever met in baseball and maybe that has ever been around baseball. He was a genius. And they, they, you know, they've had other good people there too, but Joe knew how to get things done, how to trade, how to pick players, and how to put a team together. There's some luck that goes into it on occasion. You might get lucky with a guy, but I don't know. I always kind of look back and I say, you know, players that, that were with the Pirates, let's say in the 70s, that whether you were a position player or a pitcher, if you notice those particular players or pitchers, they wouldn't win 10 games one year and then three the next year. They would win 10 one year, then maybe 12, then maybe shoot up to 15, maybe back off and win 14. But you wouldn't see such a discrepancy in a pitcher that did so well one year and then just absolutely tanked the next year, like you see now. And hitters the same way. I don't follow baseball anymore. Uh, It just seems like the game itself is going in the wrong directions, and some teams in general, are completely going in the opposite direction than they need to be going. Baseball's decision to contract 43 minor league teams and now Major League Baseball essentially operates the minor leagues. What's your feeling about the elimination of those teams and the minors? Well, it's a shame because 
that's the bloodline to the big leagues. And all of a sudden, you know, they cut back years ago, but now to cut back more, I guess it's all about money. But again, it's the minor leaguers that are their money. I can't imagine why you can step in and tell someone how to run their business. That's un-American. It doesn't make sense to me, but in my way of thinking, when I hear about stuff like that, it's an idiot. How can one person oversee so much and make so many mistakes, and all of a sudden, oh, the answer to this question is just, let's just cut them off, cut them off, cut them off. Well, that's not going to make any sense. That's not going to make it better. It's going to make it worse. If you want to enhance something, you have to put more into it, not less. And it just, you know, this MLB or it's the commissioner, I got a bone with the commissioner anyway over this Atlanta, Colorado thing. That's something that just completely blew my mind. So, and you know what, Joe? Nothing surprises me anymore. And I'm going to go back to what Bob Skinner told me a long, long time ago. We were talking around the batting cage one day, and Phil Garner was in there, and he was struggling, and he was trying to hit, and he couldn't do what he wanted to do, and he was yelling, and Skinner and I were laughing and everything, and I said, you know, here's one of the smartest guys in the game. He can't figure it out. Bob looked at me, and he said, Rook, don't ever try to figure the game out because if you do, it'll drive you nuts. And when he told me that, that was the last time I ever tried to really figure it out. I mean, I just tried to do my job and watch the game and see what's going on and hope for the best. So it's a crazy game. It's not too many people try to treat it like a business. It's a business, but it's not your everyday by the numbers business because baseball doesn't work that way. No sports do work that way. And a lot of these people haven't been able to figure that out. Well, does it make any sense to eliminate 43 cities, mostly smaller cities, where kids get exposed to baseball, people get exposed to baseball, obviously the prices are really reasonable, and you take that away. How are you spreading interest in the game by eliminating 43 small towns that have baseball? Well, once again, it's the stupidity of the people that run the game. If you look around major sports, I noticed this years ago, and you look at basketball, football, and even hockey to a degree, baseball is the worst marketed professional sport in our country. Of all of the four major sports, and, and even, you know, I'll even throw golf in there, they do a better job of marketing their sport than baseball does. Basketball, football, or hockey also do a much better. I don't understand these people. I just don't because they're the ones that are coming, that are the educated, their IQs, they're over my head. They don't have a clue what the game is really about, people enjoying the game and, and putting talent on the field. They would rather put stupid stuff on a scoreboard or on the field. That doesn't win games for you. The bottom line is winning. And apparently, whether it's because of the TV contract or ticket sales, what they make at the ballpark, you know, that dollar sign, it's more important than really winning. And I always thought, you know, you would draw more interest and more fans the more you win, the more interest you get, the more people that come out to the park. But that went away a few years ago with a lot of teams. That, that winning is not their number one most important thing. Joining us on the Rush Friday feature, Jim Rooker, former Pirate. I think you and I agree about the ban of Pete Rose from baseball. But every game has ads for gambling. You see it everywhere. Even before the Pirate Games, they tell you the over-under. They tell you who's favorite. They tell you you can bet on this. It's sort of disingenuous, isn't it? Of course it is. But once again, why are they doing it? Because the sport is struggling so much, they'll do anything for money, even allow gambling. And if I'm Pete Rose right now, I get a campaign going. 
I was against Pete getting in. He never should have done that. But if you're going to change the rules of baseball to a degree and let people do what they're doing now, why be so hypocritical? That's And that's exactly what they're, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And, and I, I got to throw this in there about the commissioner. I'm, I'm really, that's what really, that was the last straw for me when they took the game out of Atlanta and put it in Colorado. I'm guessing that an Atlanta Brave or two is going to make the All-Star team. I would love for whoever these guys are, when they get announced, they say, we're not going. The game should be played here. I'm going to be here where I'm supposed to be at the All-Star game. I'm not going to Colorado, but I guarantee you it won't happen. But I wish somebody would stand up and say, I'm not going, and tell them why. Because the game was moved over some stupid political decision being made by the commissioner of baseball, which proves what an idiot he really is. Some final moments with... Sorry the, about that. No, some final moments with... Tell us how you really feel, Jim. Some final moments <laughs> with Jim Rooker. We're going to go back to a story you told me a long time ago, and it was about sort of a prank that you pulled in the clubhouse. You know, again, being a pitcher, a lot of times when you're not, you know you're not doing anything that day, you get bored. This was in July, and in the old clubhouse, our clubhouse guy, John Hallahan, you had a, a kind of a small food room and beverage room like they had it he had a old coke machine that one where you lift the lid up and reach down in and get a soft drink of some kind and then there would be a a table with some snacks or candies there and and that was the extent of what we would have during the game not like they have today like they have a you know a full course meal in these clubhouses but i just got bored and why what made me think of it i have no idea other than the fact that I went back into the clubhouse to, I was going to have a drink of Coke or something. I don't even know what, you know, what, I can't remember, you know, different kinds of grape juice or grape pop or 7-Up or whatever. So I lift the lid up, and I just happened to look down and see the thing had all the Cokes in there and everything in it. And I'm thinking, hmm, this might work out. So I took all of the soft drinks out of the machine and put them over in the corner and then put a towel over them so nobody could see that they were there. And then I went and got my pitching jacket on, the heavier jacket, put it on, and I climbed down inside the Coke machine. And also I had this real, real, real ugly mask. It was a full mask that you put over your head, and it was an old, old guy with a big, long chin and long nose with warts all over his face and long, gray, ugly hair. And then I had my coat on so that it looked like the full-headed mask it was a real person. So I just got down inside there and tucked myself in and closed the lid. And I just figured, well, I'm going to stay in here and see how, how long it takes before anybody comes in here for a drink. And don't you know, John Milner was the guy that came in there to get something to drink. And he, I'm telling you, I laughed so hard, I thought I was going to pass out. But when he lifted the lid, I kind of popped my head up and then grabbed his arm and pulled him towards him. He screamed and jumped off the ground and jumped up and back, kind of pushed away. He hit the wall before he hit the ground again. And he started screaming at me and yelling. And he said, he said he's got a knife in his locker and he's going to go get stabbed. <laughs> and so I got out of the machine and ran out to the bench because I didn't know if he was serious or not. He was grabbing his heart, Joe, and he said, pop, pop, please pop, pop. It scared him so bad. It just, and I mean, it's funny, but you really had to be there. And actually, I got back in the machine, and the next guy that came in was Bruce Keeson. And he screamed, if you can imagine a woman, a shrieking scream of a woman 
like she was just being tortured to death. That's what Bruce screamed like when he reached down in there. So I could only pull it off once because after that first time, nobody, everybody would go in there. They'd kind of half lift the lid up to look in there first and see if anybody was in there. So it was kind of, it was, it was one of the better ones that I've pulled. I've done a few funny things, but that was, I think that goes up to the top of the list because the, the reaction of these two guys you just couldn't have wanted a better reaction than you got. You couldn't have planned it to happen like that. It just happened. Finally, Jim, what's the future for you? Uh, basically, what it's been is uh, well, I get up early, I go to the gym, work out for about an hour, get a newspaper, and come back home. If it's golf day, I'll, I'll go. Well, I won't work out the day I golf, but I golf twice a week, fish once in a while. been a while since I fished, though, but that's it. I mean, I'm, I've got a black belt in doing nothing. I'm pretty good at that. A couple of years ago, you told me that you started exercising some, and you, you you took some weight off, and you feel so much better. Oh yeah, yeah. I I uh, before I went up to Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago for the Mansrowski thing, I was in the gym every day for the week, and I I don't normally do that. Usually, it's about three, and if I stretch it, maybe four. It's made a big difference. I've lost thirty pounds in in probably four years ago, maybe and been able to keep it off by doing this stuff, change my diet to the better. I mean, I still have a little billy goat in me, but I do a better job of what I eat, when I eat, and how much I eat. So, it, you know, it's a combination of things, and it, and it does keep me busy. So I just try to stay active. That's the thing. I, you know, you got you have to do something. you got to keep moving around. That, that helps. Jim, thanks for joining us once again in the Rush Friday feature, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. It's always great talking about the, quote, good old days, and, Let's hope that baseball maybe can revert to the way things were before. Well, my fingers are crossed, but I wouldn't bet on it, Joe. <laughs> Thanks for Nice talking to you, pal. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, wanted to talk some pucks. Last night, Golden Knights and Canadiens Game 6 of their Stanley Cup semifinal in Montreal. The Habs, that's, by the way, in case you're not a hockey person, one of the nicknames for the Canadiens is Les Habitants. So it's always been shortened to the Habs. So when I say the Habs, I'm referring to Montreal. Just a little, you know, just to so say you know. The Habs trying to get back to the cup final for the first time in 28 years. Montreal had a 2-1 lead heading into the third period but it did not take long for Vegas to tie it up. Here's Carlson out high in the slot. Petrangelo shoots. Glove save. Price. Rebound. Score! Price could not secure it. Vegas has tied the game. Alec Martinez poked it through the legs. Martinez made it 2-2 just 68 seconds into the third. That's the way it stayed into overtime. And then just a minute 39 into the extra sesh. Dan Hull cutting to the net. Here's a chance. Look at it. Shoots and scores. Arturi Lekkinen has sent the Canadians to the Stanley Cup final. The call on TSN 690. Who would have thunk it? Arturi Lekkinen, the game winner to send the Canadiens to their first Stanley Cup final appearance since 1993. They win the game 3-2, the series 4-2. The team with the worst record in the playoffs. 
will take on either the Islanders or Lightning for the big silver cup. It's really an amazing story when you think about it. Here's ESPN's Barry Melrose. I really think the best story on the Montreal Canadiens, they're a team of destiny and all that stuff's going to come out of Montreal. I expect to be uh, asked a lot of questions about that last series, but Cole Caulfield is unbelievable. This guy has got four goals, okay? That is the same amount of goals as the whole forward group of uh, the Vegas team. That is unbelievable. This kid's 20 years old, played in Wisconsin, won the Holby Baker as the best college player in the United States. Uh, his buddies with JG Watt, JJ Watts, that's got to mean something. And he can fly, he can flat out fly. And he is turning into the superstar goal scorer for the Montreal Canadiens. They've been looking for that guy, that young guy to build around. They've got three or four of them. Suzuki's another guy. This team was 3-1 to one losing to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Down 3-1 to one losing to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And now they're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. It really is an incredible story. It really, I mean, they were, he said, they were down to the Maple Leafs. 3-1 to one in the very first, the first round. Since then... They've won 11 of 13 games. Montreal was dead last among playoff teams in points in regular season. As a matter of fact, there were two teams that had more points than the Canadiens that didn't even make the playoffs. Before the season started, uh, William Hill, Caesars Sportsbook, had Montreal as plus 3,500 to win the Stanley Cup. And again, if you don't know what that is, if you bet 100 bucks on Montreal to win the Cup with those odds, that would turn into 3,500 bucks. Fair enough? Now they're four wins away from winning their first championship since 1993. That's also the last time any team north of the border won a Stanley Cup. Montreal, just the sixth Canadian-based team to make the Cup Final since 1994 and the first since a Vancouver lost to Boston in seven games back in 2011. Now, the Habs, they'll know their Cup opponent after tonight as the Lightning host the Islanders for Game 7 of that series. New York won Game 6 to force tonight's decisive game. That's the good news for New York. The bad news... Tampa Bay has not lost consecutive playoff games in over two years. Lightning are 13-0 in games following a playoff loss going back to the start of their championship run last season. Former Islander goaltender Rick DiPietro on what it will take for the Isles to win tonight. Your stars have to be your stars. Like role players, that's great. They're going to chip in. They're going to do the things they need to do. But your guys have to step up. And I thought Barzell stepped up in the third period. He's got to do the same thing in Game 7. Barlamov's going to have to play great. So he's talking about stars stepping up. Tampa Bay, here's the bad news for Tampa Bay. They may be without their brightest star, Nikita Kucherov. He was hurt in the first period of Game 6. Only He played less than 50 seconds in the game. Left the game after a cheap cross-check that wasn't called. And he never returned. And he is questionable for tonight. He keys their power play. He has the most points of anybody in the playoffs this season. If they have to play tonight, not that they can't win without him, but we're talking about, look, if Kucherov plays tonight, he's the best player on the ice for either team. And there's no question. 
That's like the Penguins going in without Sidney Crosby. That's like the Capitals going in without Ovechkin. If Kucherov cannot play tonight, that's a huge blow to the Lightning. But we'll know after tonight. We'll have. I, I hope. I understand the NHL wants Montreal versus New York because those are two big hockey markets. But if, I'm telling you right now, if, if it's the Canadians and the Islanders, oh. You, t- <laughs> you talk about a series with zero just star power. With like zero, I don't want to say talent, but like we're talking skill level, that, that's going to be a boring series. There's some decent players, don't get me wrong. You heard Barry talk about Caulfield for uh, uh, Montreal. He's really, really good, only 20 years old. But I was really hoping for a lightning uh, Golden Knights Stanley Cup final. That would have been an electric cup final. I hope we don't get Canadians and Islanders. Because that would be an absolute just snooze, snooze fest. Unless, of course, you're a Habs or, you know, Islanders fan. All right, uh, tonight, reminder, Nationals, Marlins, Nats going for their sixth straight win, a chance to get over 500. The game will be right here on this station, pregame at 640. Check it out. We're done here. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your week. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Bye.